We are Dr. Sarah Bone and Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. We are both actively practicing osteopathic physicians, dual boarded in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. You Only Die Once is a virtual place for sharing information about serious illness, the end of life process, hospice and palliative medicine with the patient, the family, and the practitioner. You only die once, and we believe it can and should be a good death. Hi, I'm Dr. Bone. I'm Dr. Tartaglia. Today we're going to bring to you a talk about the significance of falls. So if you go back to our videos, how can I tell if I have a serious illness? Falls are one of the things that we listed, mm -hmm. one of the things that we talked about, and it's a huge topic. And so today we're gonna to expound on that just a little bit. Now we're not gonna talk about uh, falls in environments like loss of consciousness, a stroke, motor vehicle accident, an act of violence causing a fall, or a fall during a sporting event. Our falls that we're talking about more are homebound falls of individuals and institutional-based falls of individuals. These falls uh, that occur usually occur with frail patients, and it's a sentinel event. Sentinel event is like a landmark event or a very important event at a hospital or a facility. And so if somebody has a sentinel event, whether it's a fall or and we can talk about other sentinel events in a, in a different video, a big investigation occurs. There's an increased burden to the patients depe depending on the, the cause of the fall, also to the healthcare system, um, burden to cost of, of the fall, um, to recover from the fall, and also it creates a huge burden to families, um, both not only just financially, but also uh, mentally, they get very concerned as to why their loved one is falling and what they can do to prevent the future falls. If an individual is frail, particularly if they're frail and elderly, the risk is significant for injury from fall. Um, anybody over the age of 65 is at higher risk, and of course the greater the age, then the higher the risk of, of injury is for fall. In 2016, it was the third fastest growing uh, contributor to death rate. And, you know, we know that as the population does age, we know that those risks are going to increase. Injuries that can occur from fall will take a person to the emergency department. And in fact, it's one of the four top causes for many emergency department evaluations. When we're talking about injuries to the fall, um, we have to look at, uh, do the patient have any abrasions, which means, you know, scratches, you know, it's a formal name for scratch or contusion. Did they fall and did they fracture a bone? A big bone, such as the femur or hip fracture, is really significant. Even wrist fractures can be the demise of patients if they fall on their outstretched hands. Um, they lose the mobility to feed themselves, to dress themselves, and this creates a lot of havoc to their system um, because they already were slightly debilitated, and this might cause their debilitating illness to progress suddenly. Pelvis fracture, fractures are also very significant. And then the fatal, or, you know, the big word, head injury. We hate seeing those because we just sometimes don't know the significance of them. Initially, they may manifest over the next couple of days to weeks. So any of those falls that may result in a fracture, 
impairs immediately, but then it may start this decline that occurs over time where a patient is not as functional as they once were, they're not as ambulatory as they once were, and so that those injuries from falls are significant and, you know, to damage to the patient, and they're very costly to the system. Inpatient injury falls may total a cost of, to an institution of $250,000 in a year. Costs related to falls for the hospital system and the healthcare system totaled $50 billion in 2015. So we've got to try to minimize falls, particularly in institutions and in hospitals. Yeah, and there's common locations for falls. Um, they do normally, uh, you know, they can occur, uh, as Dr. Bone just said, in the hospital. They can occur in an independent living facility, in an assisted living facility, in a nursing home, in a rehab. Most institutional falls do have policies in place, but as long as there's humans involved um, and multiple people involved in people's care, unfortunately, it's not um, 100% of a safe place, just as the falls that occur in the patient's home. Institutional falls take up 40% of the fall rate, which is quite high. Significant. If a person experiences a fall, falls are typically a marker for frailty and mobility. They can indicate that a patient has a shorter life expectancy, and it, it indicates or leans into a significant burden to that person from acute or chronic illness. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Dr. Bone, because how often do we meet patients? Um, as you all know, we do hospice and palliative medicine, so we meet people after they've had the fall. You know, and a lot of times people are like, oh, my loved one was, you know, going bowling and golfing. I mean, where we live in Florida, golfing's a big one. Um, you know, they were able to golf nine holes, sometimes 18. They went out to dinner with friends, and now they're bedbound, and they had a hip fracture or even, you know, um, a mild head injury. And we have to kind of put all the pieces together to explain to the family that this was probably that sentinel event was the fall. And it's very sad that it causes someone's demise. And sometimes we can't really tease out, did they fall because of their weakness and their mm -hmm. illness? Or did the fall cause them to become more weak because they were less mobile? And then decline occurred after that. Yeah, and it's hard for us to tell because a lot of times in our more functional patients, they may have been masking all these um, underlying cardiac issues that could have caused the fall pulmonary issues, and they were just, you know, they were giving themselves the cardiac stress test every day, going out, playing golf, doing other things that you do not know that all these underlying illnesses could have affected it. So there are patient factors and facility factors that put a person at risk for fall. So let's talk about some of the patient factors. Sure. Posture. If a person's posture is kind of off, I know a lot of patients, a lot mm -hmm. of people after, you know, a certain age, maybe their posture, they're bent a little bit. I know I feel bent some mornings more than others. And yes. at the end of the day, I may straighten up during the day, but I know at the end of the day, my posture is also not so great. Well, that changes your center of gravity. Mm -hmm. And that will also make you fall. Vision changes will also. Oh my gosh. I've got several pair of glasses and some of them I see better close, some of them I see better far, and some I feel like I don't see well at all. I like wearing contacts, but if I wear contacts, I see, cannot see close. So vision is huge. And for somebody with you know um, mild to moderate cataracts, maybe they don't qualify for surgery yet, they don't see the colors well. 
I know I've had comments from patients in the past after they had cataract surgery. One lady told me it was awful. She said, I had no idea I had this many wrinkles until I had my cataract surgery. So right. it's one of the worst things I've ever experienced just to look at myself in the mirror now. And about other patients tell me that, you know, once again, tree leaves are green and white is, is stark white and beautiful because they did not realize over time how dim their vision had become. So vision is really key, really important. Yeah, and I think, like Dr. Bone said, a lot of times people don't realize how obscured their vision is until uh, they have a fall or they have a repair um, of their vision. For myself, I have one pair of glasses, but they're progressive. And so at different times of the day, I have to move my glasses to see. So I, if you're immobile and you can't even move your glasses, I can't imagine what that's like. Um, another contributing factor is um, breathing. So if a person is short of breath and, you know, they take a few steps and they're not breathing evenly, or maybe they're using supplemental oxygen and that limits their ability to, to be mobile, that could cause a fall if they've got, you know, tubing on the floor mm -hmm. or if they're winded easily. Yeah. So let's talk about fatigue for a moment. Yeah, oftentimes patients um, and people that are compromised do not realize how tired they are and how much energy it takes even to get out of the chair. So their fatigue may be so overwhelming they can't even use, they, it takes exorbitant amount of energy to even come to a standing position, which then will cause them to fall. And that's part of strength, you know. Yes. I, I call it using your front legs to help your hind legs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, um, a lot of patients will overcompensate with their um, front legs, meaning their arms, and they will lose their center of gravity and balance and fall. Mm. What about an abnormal gait? Oh, well, that plays a huge, um, a huge part in falls because patients do not realize that their center of gravity is off, like we've already discussed center of gravity, just in their gait, which is, gait is a fancier word for walking. Yeah, yeah. And they shuffle people, their feet, yes. they drag their feet, they mm -hmm. don't pick their feet up and clear very well. And some of that may be just bad habit. There may not really be a good reason for exactly. the gait abnormality. And there is gait training that's available. Right. Or the ones that are supposed to be using um, devices for their gait and they yeah. don't use them. Yeah. That's a risky behavior. Yes. Other risky behaviors might include drinking or other mm -hmm. medication or other chemical use being told you're supposed to sit up and dangle your feet. Uh, before you stand, you're supposed to kind of get your bearings. You're supposed to be using a cane or a walker or a rolling walker or a rollator right. or a wheelchair, and you're trying to shortcut. So risky behaviors can certainly contribute to an individual's fall. Mm -hmm. And also patients that have joint issues and pains in their joints, that will contribute to their fall because they might overcompensate on one limb versus another and lose their center of gravity and fall. Or if they get a sudden pain, they're, mm -hmm. they're walking and seem to be having no issue at all, and then they get a sudden sharp stabbing pain, whether it's in their back or their knee, that's enough to make them recoil and react, and that can throw off their gait, their balance, and then they can fall from that. Confusion plays a big role in uh, falls. Mm -hmm. um, if their mental status, it could be that they're more confused because they've just had surgery or um, they, they have underlying dementia that could be worsened. They may have an infection, which causes the worsening mm -hmm. of confusion. That may be um, 
uh, a cause for the fall. Or if their oxygen levels low. Yes, that can cause it. If they've mm -hmm. just recently had a TIA or a mini stroke, they might have confusion. And sometimes it seems like confusion can wax and wane. It, they can be better and they can be worse almost moment to moment sometimes. Yeah, sometimes people um, are better in the beginning of the day and then uh, towards the end of the day they might have more of this sundowning which is kind of a delirious state that they go into that may cause um, them to be worse but then I have some patients that are pacing at the end of the day their gait is even better when yeah. they're more agitated yeah. yeah and that you know may all contribute to fatigue mm -hmm. let's talk about body functions yes. for a minute let's talk about bowel and bladder mm -hmm. I think those are contributors too yeah. Falls. Um, diarrhea. I'm, I'm trying not to sleep with this, but I have to tell a story. Okay. Okay. A diarrhea story. This will be good. <laughs> this is a really funny story. And this is about my family. Is my, my grandmother, I've shared with you all. I mean, God rest her soul. Thank God she's dead. She would kill me for the story, but my family will laugh. We had a home, a summer home at the Jersey Shore. And it's, uh, we still have that home, but when we were, when she was older and she got around with a walker, it was very hard for her to move and have, you know, she had severe mobility issues. The other problem with that home is it's one flight of steps just to get into the house. So it's, you know, a garage basement, then you go up a flight of stairs. So one day we're trying to get her out of the car. She loved the Jersey Shore because it was 30 minutes from the casinos and we're trying to move her quickly and she starts screaming, I pooped myself. <laughs> and we're like, Grandma, what are you talking about? And she's like, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. And your father put these rocks down. So it was an uneven ground. So it caused a lot of gait issues. She couldn't move the walker. And she had to go to the bathroom so bad that she was about to fall. Thank God my brother was there to grab her. And she blamed all of this on my father laying down the rocks. And she had... <laughs> absorbent amounts of diarrhea and we had a big mess to clean up but this is a serious issue I mean I make light of it now but it's very funny because in reality she was used to having um concrete to walk across and because the rocks were there her she right. couldn't she couldn't move yeah, she couldn't and then she did. blamed walking on the rocks that caused her to poop herself which I have to laugh as a physician that makes no sense but that was her story and by golly we better stick to it so we all laugh Whenever we're stepping on rocks, my brother will turn back to me and say, you having any problems? Do you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> so inside family joke. It's an inside family joke. Well, if your, your bowel alarm goes off or your bladder alarm goes off, you, it's, it's pretty important you've got to answer yes, that really quickly. quickly. Because most of us, since we were about two, three years old, don't like to soil ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we want to make it to the bathroom. So you know, diarrhea, bowel issues, bladder issues, bladder concerns, those can certainly contribute to a fall. And I have to tell you, as a physician, how many times have you been in the room to evaluate a patient? They're like, I had to pee and I've been on the call bell. Yeah. And I get that we, you know, we're all busy, but my goodness, like help the person. Help, let's help this person get to the bathroom. I think it's important to discuss like being out of your element when you're in a facility setting, which is not normal to you the lighting, the flooring, the room temperature, all of those things play a role in the, pa in the patient's safety. That's a really good segue into our next thing. Let's talk about facility responsibilities or yes. facility uh, factors as they relate to falls. So yeah, lighting is certainly one. Um, the flooring, you know, you shouldn't have uh, stuff on the floor. 
um, that could obstruct a patient, um, their room temperature, and then, you know, I think you need to talk about the call light device because you spend a lot of time in the hospital. So those call <laughs> light devices, I think, are different at most institutions, and they're really complicated to try to figure out, you know, I was trying to help a, a patient he wanted a particular channel on and was looking for particular programming and there's up down buttons and some of them are for the bed control and some of them are for the television and then the call light the call light is usually a big red and white plus and sometimes there's a little emblem mm -hmm. of a nurse with a nurse hat on now for me my grandmother was an rn my aunts were lpns i understand the nurse hat I cannot tell you in the hospital the last time I saw a nurse with a nurse hat. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they're still putting that on the emblems, except our population that, that we take care of at the hospital where I work for is, is mostly over the age of about 50, 55. They get that. But a younger person, if they looked at that emblem, they're going to understand it, you know, if they see the word nurse, but they're not going to understand what that nurse hat is. Right. emblem is that just doesn't make a lot of sense and those controls are so complicated right and sometimes it's hard for the patients to find it to, to see it to, to, see press, it, the to press the button there's a lot of things that you have if to, that thing falls off the side of the bed oh, it's on a cord it. and they pin it to the to the side of the bed but they're trying to feel alongside of the bed maybe that put it on the side where the patient has neglect from a previous stroke, stroke mm -hmm. so they don't even realize it's over there, or maybe it's out of reach, or maybe they have a lot of swelling in their hand, or they've got terrible arthritis and they can't reach the thing. So I see those those call light devices as a major issue. I know they've done the best they can, but we got to keep working because they're not good enough. Yeah. And then you were talking also to me about like layout of rooms, like in a more modern hospital versus... It's different than the person's home environment, so that can be upsetting and disorienting. Mm -hmm. And if there's not clear space, so many hospitals now are being built for you know one patient, but because of the crisis of healthcare and more patients being elderly and patients needing to go to the hospital, particularly during 2020 and 2021, we had some rooms that were meant for one patient actually had to have two people in it. Mm -hmm. And I think they, the hospitals had to get, you know, special permission to put two people in a one-person room. Those rooms were tight with those two beds in there. And there's right. not clear, you know, space for a patient to ambulate, especially if they need a device. Mm -hmm. And if we go in with a team, because many times I may have a medical student and or a resident with me, maybe I have a social worker and a chaplain with me, there's not space for all of us in there with two beds, patient, and a couple of families. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the major facility issues, but let's talk a little bit about a specific part of the facility that's not really the physical plant. Let's talk about staffing. Mm -hmm. Number one of staffing is the number. How yes. many staff do we have? Are they available? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because like anything in this world right now, we're all going through shortages in yeah. every you know, you can't yeah. go on a flight without a problem. We can't go in the hospital without a problem. You can't go out to eat. You can't go out to eat. You're right. You walk up to a restaurant and there's a bunch of empty tables because they're short-staffed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important that we know that, that the responsibility of prevention of falls has to occur between all the stakeholders. It's not just the patients that are responsible. It's the healthcare system. 
It's the family. We all must take responsibility. So we don't point a finger of blame. You know, uh -uh. the patient did this, the nurse didn't do that, the family member, you know, there's no, there's no fault in it. There's no blame in it. We are all stakeholders and we all take responsibility and we all need to work together. That's, it's just so important for the reduction of falls. Patients have to help themselves. Particularly at home, you know, at home you can make sure you have good footwear on, make sure you've got good lighting in your home, and you know, don't, if you have to go to the bathroom, I know you don't want to turn the light on in the middle of the night, but you really need to be able to see. If you're supposed to be using a device, you need to use, you know, whatever device that is, if it's a cane, if it's a walker, if it's a rollator, you need to be using that when you're ambulating. Your floor needs to be clean and clutter-free and not slippery. And throw rugs need to be thrown Run away. away. Yes, they're because so dangerous. That's a big trip hazard. Carpet, if, there, if it's tattered carpet or if there's a loose corner, that really needs to be tacked down. Electric cords that may run mm -hmm. across a path. And I know we see that a lot during the holidays because, you know, people put... Christmas lights up or put Hanukkah lights up and so there may be holiday um, electrical devices that require power and we've got to be real careful how the electric cords are across our home. We also need to be, be, be prepared and be willing to admit that we should not be doing unsafe things without other people around. Are you talking about climbing? Yes, I'm mm -hmm. talking about climbing, Dr. Bone. I've <laughs> promised my family that if no one is at home, then I'm not going to get on a chair or get on a ladder. Um, a few years ago, I was walking early in the morning, because that's kind of my habit, is to get up early in the morning, and I was walking on the sidewalk, and the sidewalk was uneven. And some, it was, you know, there's street lights out, so I didn't have a flashlight on me. It was, you know, just early, early morning, not mm -hmm. quite bright, not quite dawn yet. She um, walks in the dark. Yeah, I was walking in the dark, but there were street lights on. And um, I was in my neighborhood. And anyway, I tripped and I went down and I instant, you know, wanted to put out my hand and that's called a foosh injury, fall on an outstretched hand. And as I'm falling, I'm thinking, don't do that, you'll break your wrist. And so I kind of turned and rolled and I sort of landed on my shoulder, but my hand here still took a scuff against mm -hmm. the sidewalk. And I kind of even scarred up my glasses a little bit, but I didn't hit my head. I didn't bruise my face or get a head injury or anything. And I kind of rolled over into the grass. And then I got up and I dusted off my pride and I went on home and I had to bandage my hand here where I got injured. I think I tore my shirt too, but I had to bandage <laughs> my hand. Well, a few days later, my family saw the the bandage on my hand and I had, you know, washed my hands so that wound was open and they could see it and I hadn't redressed it after washing my hands. And of course they asked what that was from. And I And were you truthful? Eventually I fessed up. And so they decided that I needed to have a device that would alert them when I fell the next time. And so, you know, they, I have a nice watch that communicates with my phone that the kids got for me and they set it up so that when I fall, it sends them alert an alert. And I was at a facility. I was still working in an assisted living facility at that time. And I like to take the stairs when I can to try to stay active. And I was going up the stairs and I'm carrying my bag that's got about 15 pounds of stuff in it. And I didn't lift my foot high enough for the next oh, step. No. So I literally fell up 
the stairs. Now, I just put my hand down hard. I did not go down because I, Thank you know, the, goodness. Big, the big bag was there. To, it Thank God down. it anchored you and didn't pull you the other way. <laughs> it pulled me forward and I put my hand down. Well, the watch went off. <gasps> yeah. And it said, do you need 911? Do you need a alert? <laughs> you have 60 seconds to respond. And then it started this like countdown timer. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, no, don't call. <laughs> but it was, it was pretty comical. But I wear that device most every day, and I have never disarmed it. I'm sure I could eventually figure out how. <laughs> you better not. But I will not, because that was given to me by people who care about me and who love me. And so that's just part of the promise that I've made to them. You know, that I'm if I fall, I'm going to fess up, and I'm going to wear the watch, and I'm not going to climb on ladders. I'm not going to climb, you know, on the countertop or anything if somebody is not mm -hmm. home. And I've made good on that. So those are just some general risks that you can have. Certainly foot care and dizziness, mm -hmm. along with the mobility device that a person might need. Um, staying strong and being active, limiting chemicals yes. such as alcohol that might impair it. But there's another complicated factor that you know patients can help with, and that's medications. Yeah. Oftentimes, there are certain medications that might make you um, a little bit more loopy, not all alert. Um, they may cause you to have dizziness. Um, um, some medications make you have to urinate, like a water pill for a diuretic that makes you urinate, and you have to really, really go quickly. So you need to just be aware of your medications, what your reactions of the medications are, and what you can do to help um, your situation be safer to prevent falls. And if you're supposed to take a medication, take the medication. Yes. But if you have a side effect from the medication, you must impress upon your physician that you do have a side effect to that medication so that they're aware. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, patients don't like to tell the physicians their side effects because they think that they're complaining or, you know, they don't want to be scolded. But these are important things that you have to disclose. There are many screeners that are mm -hmm. used. And I think, you know, we're not going to go through all those. The only one that I personally like because you can do it at home, all you need is 10 feet, a chair, and a stopwatch is the get up and go test. And that's where you just have the patient seated and you start your timer. They are to stand up on their own, walk 10 feet, turn around, and sit back down. And that should be accomplished in less than 10 seconds. And less than 14 is considered normal. Mm -hmm. But between 10 and 20 seconds, there is a little bit of an increased risk for fall. And greater than, uh, greater than 30 seconds means there's a significant risk for fall. And some people even feel that if their fall risk is high like that, that maybe they shouldn't be leaving the house without somebody with them because that fall risk is too great. Right. And the good thing about this tool is, you know, we, as uh, physicians in the medical field, we have so many tools and tests and is this can be done at home. So um, obviously at the, with the safety, uh, you know, in mind, obviously have a family member with you, but just to have a better idea, because a lot of times family members don't even realize how debilitated their loved ones right. are. Right. Because they do a lot for them. Well, and you, you're watching the iceberg melt by just one drop a day. Yeah. And so you sometimes you don't see how that change has occurred. When we have a patient come in, we do a detailed patient assessment, and it's by trained staff. 
there to work in a collaborative manner with other staff members and it's to be population based you know we talked a little bit about the greatest generation and the boomers those people are at more risk and we need to make sure that we're addressing their needs safe and timely toileting is probably mm -hmm. utmost ease of mobility managing their mobility device managing their pain anticipating what their needs are so they're not going to try to get up and go get it on their own yeah. We want the patients engaged. Mm -hmm. We want them to be a participant that's active, literally and figuratively active with this because we want them to use their mobility device and we want them to be able to get up and get out of bed. And if they can safely get to the bathroom, we want them to be able to do that. But almost 50% of institutional falls occur around the bathroom mm -hmm. issue. And about 20% of those falls occur because they're trying to get from the chair to the bed or the bed to the chair or the toilet to the bed. So um, the, a high rate of falls surround the bathroom and surround transfer. So just think about that. If we really emphasize bathroom, you know, safety for the bathroom to make sure that we're doing, con you know, constant education on toileting and to the staff to make sure that they are engaged as well as helping them with transfer the bed, you would help 70% of the falls. It'd be a bunch. It would be significant. I mean, it would really be significant. So after a fall has occurred, we have kind of like a, you know, a whole series of things mm -hmm. that we need to do. We need to evaluate completely, uh, thoroughly evaluate the patient for injury. And they need a, not just a reassessment of them physically, but we need a reassessment of their skills and their abilities. We want those people to be mobile, we want to get them mobile early, and we want to get them, have them be mobile often, and we want to be able to deliver that care. The nurse has to be able to document the information related to the fall, and we need to be able to communicate that information to the other staff that are also caring for that patient. Right. Especially if there, and, and if there's environmental circumstances that cause the fall or um, other issues like that, we need to remove them from the, from the equation. Um, we need to report these falls to leadership. They eventually go to the fall champion, which then will report it to leadership. Mm -hmm. And then they were very proactive on trying to figure out ways to have prevented the fall, like kind of like a Monday morning quarterback. Let's try to work together and look at, okay, XYZ fell. Let's see what we could have done better. And they need a lot of data. Yeah. And I think that kind of information you don't get from click boxes. Mm -mm. You get that from historical information. Writing. Mm-hmm. There is a kind of several phases of a fall. You know, phase one is where the body gravity is mm -hmm. off, the center of gravity changes, and maybe a joint issue, maybe the weakness, maybe the reflexes aren't right, but that's where the, the phase one is. Then phase two of the fall is the body can't or doesn't correct mm -hmm. itself quickly enough. Phase three is the impact. And then phase four is what's the result of that fall? What, what happened to the individual because of the fall? And like we've said earlier, sometimes you don't know the result quickly. It may take 24 to 48 hours to see the impact, especially if there was a neurological event that occurred. Um, so it's really important to constantly reassess the patient. Sitters, nor alarms prevent falls. Mm -hmm. The sitter and the alarm may tell you what's happening, but they don't really prevent it. And grab bars have mm -hmm. variable data. Sometimes yeah. grab bars, the patient can actually get tangled up in the grab bar or the patient can actually get injured by the grab bar on the way down. 
So grab bars are kind of a necessary event for some people because patients won't get up without them, but then we also have to know that they can cause uh, trauma. We've seen some interest in video surveillance, mm. but that opens up a whole mm. nother issue of patient privacy. confidentiality, patient privacy, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, surveillance would be good because you could see the patient swinging right. their legs to try to get out of bed, but then the patient doesn't have that privacy. So there's a lot of um, things to be worked out about yeah. the surveillance. At patients' homes, a lot of them now have the video monitor instead of just the regular baby monitor, which was audio only. That's a little different when you're in a home setting. but like like that's their own family. Yeah. But like Dr. Bone said, in a hospital setting, there's a fine line. So we'll see where that goes. We'll see where that heads over time. Mm -hmm. The big thing is to get patients moving safely in an institution, get them up and get them going early and often and in a safe manner. Mm -hmm. I call it the, 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 the princess effect because everything comes to me when I'm at the hospital. I lay in my room and they bring me something to drink. I lay in my bed and someone brings me something to eat. I push a button and they bring me, you know, whatever I need next. I push a button and the television comes on. And that's not what we want people to be doing. We want people to be active in a safe manner. Yeah, and what what better place to do that is in a hospital setting where you're monitored so if something happens, you can get care immediately. Um, it's somewhat safer than maybe your home environment and uh, there's professionals there to help you. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we'll have patients that uh, end up in the hospital, unfortunately, because caregiver burnout. I mean, they might just go there because the, they're declining, they'll go there for caregiver burnout, and then those patients sit, as, as Dr. Bone says, as a princess or a prince effect, wanting everything handed to them, and then it's data discharge, and you look back and you're like, oh, they haven't even been out of bed. What? Like, how are they going to go home? It's not a good thing to be in the hospital because of, like, mm -hmm. things that we talked about before, risk of exposure risks of exposure to infections and falls, increase of morbidity, mortality, your functional decline. And if you decline functionally, it's possible you may not recover to your prior level and it could result in permanent institutionalization. So we want people to be safe. We want them to be active. We want them to be mobile. We don't want falls, whether they're in a home and certainly we don't want falls in, in a hospital or in an institution. And I feel that in the hospital institution, that's the one place, the, the three or four set places where we can actually have a little bit more control over them and set better guidelines and look at it. It's, it's related to, um, you know, moving your bowels or urinating. Um, so that will pre prevent 50% of your falls mm -hmm. and then transferring. These are common um, activities of daily living that yeah. we should be able to have control over. So that's how we find falls to fit into that serious illness mm -hmm. category and why falls are so significant. We hope that uh, this video uh, did cover a lot of information. We hope that we'll stop pointing fingers at, oh, the nurse made my father fall or the doctor was ignoring um, my mother and asked, asked to repeat the whole history. Let's stop pointing fingers. Let's, let's in 2023 start moving forward of how we can all take an active approach a team approach to prevent falls from your loved ones so we can keep them around a lot longer. I agree. Let's move forward and mm -hmm. let's deliver better care. Thank you for listening today. You can also find us on YouTube, channel name You Only Die Once. 
If you have any specific questions you would like us to address, please feel free to send us an email at youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. That's youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon.